As we go to scripture um, this morning, it's a perfect song to kind of set this up, um, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. The song was written by Alison Krauss uh, for the movie, um, O Brother, Where Art Thou?, which, which really talks about neighbor and, and the scene in the movie of all these incredible folks moving down together toward the river to focus in on baptism. Neighbors, friends, others. But then we come to the scripture about who is our neighbor. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But it's a familiar story. What I'm asking you to listen for as Casey reads are the details. The details. The details. Casey? The scripture reading is in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, verses 29 through 37. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Holy wisdom, holy word. Is for this service really not having the screens down much. You're welcome. Um, I want to remind us that last week what I did was we talked about the nativity and the birth stories in Matthew and Luke. And that really the purpose of those stories was for us to realize what our own DNA is as Christians. And that Jesus, or, or that the authors of those, talked very specifically about ever-expanding circles within our faith. And, and the acceptance and the worship and all of those things all focused on Christ, yes, but from a variety of different perspectives. Even in those stories, we are reminded of who our neighbors may be. And then we hear this, and I'll come back to this in just a second. But what I want to do before I get there is go back almost 30 years for me in, in my pre-pastoral career and talk about three stories that really identify the power of neighbor. I've shared with you before the whole story about this 16-year-old named Bridget in Cupertino, California in the late 80s as Silicon Valley was just exploding with new technology and new industry. 
The issue was that as that explosion took place, and it reminds me to some extent of where we may be today right here, is there was something that happened where parents were not necessarily focusing on their kids. And that's not to say that those among our congregation or anywhere else aren't focusing on their kids. Things happen that are out of our control. And I think to a great extent, Bridget was the example of that. Bridget was the largest drug dealer for elementary school kids in the greater Silicon Valley, the three-county area. And yet, you would never have known it. She was bright, she was vigorous, she was excited, she was all of these things. Both her parents were attorneys. And yet, she got caught up. She got caught up in all of this. And the reason that she ended up in my office on that day is I was youth director at Good Samaritan United Methodist Church in Cupertino, which she had made the mistake of beginning to use her own product. And her product was LSD. And she would go and put small tabs of LSD to try and get elementary school kids hooked. And she would take their lunch money as a result. It's not where she made her money. Her money came from the drug dealer's who were working through her to try and get these children addicted so that they would have an ongoing market. Bridget came into my office. She explained it all. I called her parents. They came in, and I called on Carolyn, who was a sheriff um, deputy in that area. And we began to look at all of this. What I forgot to share with you is of the 50 youth that were in that youth group, every single one of them used drugs. And the drug was dependent on where they were from. In Saratoga, where Bridget came from, it was cocaine. Um, in San Jose, it was meth. In um, Cupertino and Sunnyvale, it was marijuana. There was a drug of choice that depended on the demographic. But every one of them was using. What happened then is we began to communicate what was going on to a number of different places around the community. We went and talked to the school district who knew that the problem existed but didn't know what to do about it. We talked to the business communities. We talked to the churches. And then we talked to Santa Clara County. Andrea Schneider was her name, and she was director of the, um, the group that oversaw drug abuse, drug abuse services. And then we decided we needed to take it on. And so we asked for a community forum. And for those of you that remember, it was Ross McGowan, who was, a, who was a person from Seattle, who came down and emceed the, the forum that became a CBS television special, for kids' sake. What was born out of that was neighbors beginning to talk to neighbors. Neighbors beginning to recognize that they weren't the only ones going through this, but there are multitudes of others going through it. And so they began to mobilize, and they created an organization with the help of folks around that region called Communities Against Substance Abuse. And they began to make decisions. And they began to formulate plans. And they began to look at other things for their children. And what happened in the midst of that was things began to shift and change. Put that on hold for just a second. As I was traveling, talking about all of this, I remember ending up in New York City, and it was a, a woman, a, a young black woman named Marissa, 
who I was introduced to. And Marissa lived in a five-story apartment building in what was called the Banana Belt of New York City. And she remembered the times where she would take her young children out and walk them to the park down the sidewalks, and they would go play in the park. And it was just a beautiful, innocent time. But over the past year before we had talked, what she saw was a shift and change. The sales of drugs began to come out of the darkness and into the light. And even on her corner, just below her apartment, she would watch drug deals after drug deal after drug deal happen. The neighborhood changed. It got dirty. The park became a place where drug abusers slept and dealt, and it just became an awful, dangerous place to be. And Marissa decided it's time for a change. And so what did she do? She began to talk to her neighbors in that apartment complex and others that she knew at her church. And what started as one person became ten moms in that area of New York City who decided enough is enough. Guess what they did? Now, before I tell you, Marissa is about four foot eleven and probably weighs less than 100 pounds. She led these other nine women. And what did they do? Is they went downstairs and they stood on that corner and every single time a drug deal was beginning to happen, she, this little tiny lady, would step into the middle of it and say, not in this neighborhood. Can you imagine? But she had the backing of a whole lot of other moms standing there with her. And those 10 became 30. And those 30 became 50. And the word got out, and guess what happened? The banana belt became the banana belt again, not any longer the drug belt. And it was incredible. The miracle, because of this one mom talking to her neighbors, made this systemic change in their neighborhood. And within a year, that park was cleaned up, and the whole neighborhood cleaned up. And by the way... They got a $500,000 federal grant to redo the park. One neighbor talking to nine others. But there's more. I remember going into Atlanta, Georgia. And I knew that this group, <laughs> most amazing group I've ever seen and ever had the privilege of speaking before was, other than you, of course, but... but it was 500 Southern Baptist African-American moms. And it, was, it didn't take long because every time I'd make a point, they'd go, Amen! Amen! And it became this preaching opportunity. And these moms were fed up, absolutely fed up with the fact that the gangs had come in and infiltrated into their neighborhoods and were now taking over and taking their children. And so what did they do is they began to talk to their neighbors. They began to talk to others at church. They began to formalize a plan, and they formed an organization called WHAM. WHAM. I love it. Women Against Gangs. I always thought it should have been moms. MAG. MAGs. Moms Against Gangs. But what they realized, particularly as, as we spoke to them, was that the two places that have the most influence on gangs are moms and church. And suddenly they realized 
Amen? <laughs> but they had a role to play. And so they took that story out and they began to make changes. And in that region of Atlanta, Georgia, began to change because of neighbor talking to neighbor, risking their own selves to share their stories, some of them very much ashamed of the fact that their children had been the ones to step into that. It's amazing what happened. And what in the world, Pastor Brad, does this have to do with the Good Samaritan story? Everything. Everything. This story is so profound in its detail that we often do not recognize what this is saying. It's more than just a story of a hated Samaritan helping someone. Look at the details. As a man went from where? Jerusalem to? Come on, you know this story. Why in the world would Jesus talk about those two cities? Why would he specify? Why not Nazareth to Tiberias? Why Jerusalem to Jericho? Because these two walled cities held the keys to what it meant to be Jewish. What it meant to be Jewish in the purest form of Judaism. And a reminder that in the law, no one was allowed to touch someone else who was bleeding. Or they would become unclean and would have to go through this whole cleansing thing. I love the fact that the per first person to walk by was the pastor. <laughs> Youch. But this priest walks by, and I have no doubt, but he stopped and he kind of looked and went to the other side of the street, and as he's walking away, knowing that he has so much on his calendar that he can't deal with this, oh, Lord, help this poor wretched being, and he walks on. And a Levite is the next one who comes, and it is the elite class in, in Jerusalem or in Judaism. And that is so far below what this man should take on that he simply walks by even without a prayer, knowing that this is beneath him. Everyone, everyone in Jerusalem and Jericho talked the same, looked the same, worshipped the same, believe the same. And yet here between these two cities, Jesus says, no. This is not the intention of God. As this lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? By the way, the focus was not on the man who was beaten, although that was certainly a neighbor especially if he's traveling between these two cities. But it was the one who came to help, the least trusted, most hated, least respected, most obnoxious of anyone in that region who should never, ever, ever touch a Jew. Ever. Especially a prominent Jew like this man must have been. But he does. Not only does he touch him, he brings in all the resources that he has, which probably wasn't a lot, but oil and wine and bathes the wounds and then lifts him off the animal that he had been riding and he walks. 
as he takes this man to an inn, puts him up, pays for the room, pays for the hospitalization, and says and commits in the other version of this story to making sure that this man has everything he needs because I'll come back through even though I'm hated. I'll come back through and take care of him no matter what it takes. It's an amazing story. And it speaks volumes of neighbor. And what's the point? Friends, we live in a region that is rapidly changing. Our neighborhoods are changing rapidly. Rapidly. You need look no farther than downstairs of the 157 or 160 children that attend the Aldersgate Christian Preschool. Look around here. Most of us, 95, 98, 99% of us sitting in this sanctuary, and that includes first service, speak English as our first language. Downstairs, 10 different first languages are spoken. Not English on those. And yet, what I keep hearing, not just from some here, but throughout the community, is what can we do to stop this invasion? Whoa, 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 time out. How about what can we do to embrace this change? People are coming here from all over the world because of the opportunities that exist here. People are traveling to this place not only because of the opportunities, but because of the beauty. People are coming here from every nation, every race, every economic demographic because this is the dream of living here. No wonder Chinese investors are buying up houses. That's just a smart thing to do. But what is imperative is that our attitude is not about an Asian invasion. Our attitude is a cultural embracing of our new neighbors. And some of those new neighbors, and this just tears my heart out, are the family of a four-month-old who has obviously been abused because not only once, but twice she has had broken legs. Twice. Who's our neighbor? Well, that family needs to be our neighbor. That child needs to be our neighbor. Those five young men who are dealing with heroin addiction right now, those, friends, are our neighbors. That new family that's coming in that is terrified of starting school because they don't speak English, those are our neighbors. These children who are going from one school to another, we had two of them this morning, those are our neighbors, to make sure that those transitions are godly and sacred and surrounded by love. But here's the key. Here's the key. We need to be willing to tell the story of our own family and our own transformation and our own level of acceptance, very much like Matthew and Luke did in the birth narratives, or what Jesus talked about in the Good Samaritan story. 
our attitude about neighbor has to shift. And it needs to become good news and an opening and an acceptance. If, in fact, we truly are to answer the call of God, and very much like the preschool downstairs, we become a place upstairs that is so open and accepting that whatever the ever-expanding circles may be, that we embrace it, knowing our call. And we share what we have, including our own stories. That is the purpose of this story, and that is the purpose of this, this table. Beyond Mason's school supplies although those are so important, is this bread and this cup. And a reminder that even here at the end of the Gospels, as these writers tell the story of who was sitting around that table, a reminder that these were not always loved, beloved neighbors. Simon the Zealot, no. Matthew, the tax collector. Judas, the thief. And the rest. There were old and young, rich and poor, gathered around that table. And what did Jesus say on the night that he was betrayed? He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. And by the way, he didn't just mean the bread. He meant those gathered. Just as we mean those gathered here today, this is my body. And we need to be broken for him. Every time you eat of this, we have to be reminded of what that means. And after the supper was over, he took the cup. And a reminder that it wasn't just any cup. It was the Passover cup of a new beginning because of his willingness to sacrifice himself this new beginning. This is the cup of the new covenant, he said, the new beginning in my blood. As often as you drink of this, as often as you take a drink, you must remember my teaching and my life and even who is our neighbor. Look around the table. So I'm asking you as you come forward to look at this congregation and see who may be missing. Who among us have neighbors that need to be here and hear this transformational story? Who among us and around us needs this place of healing and wholeness? Who among us needs this kind of neighborhood? It's a dangerous thing to talk to your neighbor. It's a dangerous thing for us to share who we are. But this meal reminds us of the importance of